Um, so we have been working through uh, uh, Proverbs, a guide to life this summer, and are just kind of systematically looking at different themes throughout the book of Proverbs with this idea that Danny introduced early on at the end of May when we started in this series. Um, in Proverbs, we see, um, we see vertical living for horizontal, or vertical wisdom for horizontal living. So vertical wisdom, wisdom from God for horizontal living for relationships that we have with others. And we've addressed a, a few issues so far. We've talked about the issue of sexual temptation. We've talked about um, the way that we see wisdom and fatherhood presented throughout uh, Proverbs. Um, we've talked about anger last week. And this morning, we're going to dive into the issue of, of envy. Um, envy is something that I think that is often not named for what it actually is. And we're going to get into definitions here in just a second. But I think that when we even look at yesterday, when you look at 4th of July, and we think about what we celebrate on 4th of July, we celebrate our freedom, we celebrate our independence, we're thankful for these men and women who we saw up here this morning, even a part of our family, who have fought to secure our freedom and to maintain our freedom. But on a whole other level, we celebrate a holiday. We get together and there's this expectation that we are barbecuing out in the backyard, that we are going to watch fireworks, that all of our kids are dressed um, really perfectly in those little John John things with American flags um, embroidered on the front of them. Everybody's dressed in red, white, and blue and ready for pictures to be taken. And it's this idyllic kind of idea that, that this is what life is supposed to look like. Fourth of July comes up, and this is the way we're all supposed to be best foot forward, awesome Instagram picture of chicken or ribs or whatever on the grill. And if you don't have that, then you're falling, you're falling short. It almost, it goes back before that. Think about even Norman Rockwell paintings before. It's these kind of like picture perfect ideas of what the American family should look like, of what your kitchen table should look like, of how your front yard should look. This expectation of kind of perfection. And when we see that in others or we see a picture of it, it stirs up something inside of us that says, we're not quite there. We don't have that. That is what I want, but I don't have it. And they have it. They have what I want. It's desire. Now, what envy does is it takes that desire a step further, and it, and it mixes desire with resentment. Here's, uh, I think where we kind of like get mixed up in, in terms, and this has been a really interesting study for me, is the difference between envy and jealousy. We use jealousy a lot of times when we should be using the word envy, right? So the word envy, we're going to give you a couple working definitions up here on the screen. Envy um, itself is a resentful feeling towards someone who has what you want. It's a resentful feeling. You feel emotion towards someone when you see what they have, right? You look on social media or you see a picture or you even watch from a distance someone else's life and you see what they have. And it's not just like, man, reflective. I wish I had that. It's they have it. I want it. And now I'm mad, I'm resentful. I feel toward them bitterness because they have what I want. To where jealousy, jealousy is a different sort of idea. Jealousy is a feeling um, toward someone that you think that is going to take what is yours. Something that you have that someone else may get. And there's fear. So whereas envy is desire mixed with resentment, jealousy Jealousy is resent or, or not resentment, desire mixed with um, fear. 
this fear of losing what you have, losing what is yours. So take, take this example for case. If I really wanted, um, if I really wanted a Land Rover, that's what I wanted. It was if I could have any car in the world, I, I would have, I would have a Land Rover. They're big, they're boxy, they're awesome. I could fit my whole brood of children in the back of a Land Rover. Um, I really want one. And I look outside and, and next door, my, my neighbor pulls up and he is driving that Land Rover that I want. I begin to feel resentment toward him. Man, he shouldn't have that. He doesn't want it as bad as I want it. He, he doesn't even like, how, how does he even afford that? And I just like start going down this road of like how he does not deserve what I want, but he has it. So I, I feel envy toward him. I feel resentment because he has what I want, not jealousy. It can't be jealousy because I don't have it. It's not mine. To where jealousy would be if I were the owner of, follow this example with me, if I were the owner of the Land Rover, and my neighbor comes next door and there's this dire situation at their house and they don't have a car and they ask, can they borrow my Land Rover to go and do whatever issue they need to take their child to the emergency room or take care of whatever issue they need to take up? Well, I'm gonna let them borrow my Land Rover because I would feel bad if I didn't. But as they're driving off, I start to feel jealousy toward my neighbor. What if they take my Land Rover? What if they take my car and it never makes it back to me? I, 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 have, I have desire mixed with fear. What if they take what is mine? So even, even understanding these terms, I think it helps us even make more sense of scripture. When we read in Exodus chapter 20, when um, Moses is, is, is giving the people of Israel the Ten Commandments, God's kind of uh, design for man's living in relationship with God and in relationship with one another, what does he say in the second commandment? He says, don't, don't make for yourself any gra- graven image because the Lord your God, he is a jealous God. Nothing should take what is his. Nothing should take his glory. Nothing should take his worship. Nothing should take his praise. It is his. It belongs to him alone and no one else should have it. But this morning we're talking about envy. In the book of Proverbs, it's listed four or five times. And we're going to look at two specific passages uh, this morning. We're going to start in, in Proverbs 14, verse 30. The thing that is so great about Proverbs is the, there are these really short, practical statements that we can read. And even if we just kind of um, meditate them on, on them for a little bit, it not only makes practical sense for life. You read a verse or you read a Proverbs and, and you're like, yeah, that makes really good sense. But then we remember and we recognize this isn't just kind of a standard for living. This is God's wisdom for us. So this is Proverbs 14, verse 30. It says, a tranquil, tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Um, the writer of Proverbs here does what he does a lot throughout uh, his book, and he, he uses these kind of contrasting images or these contrasting ideas to help us understand the importance of something. So the, the, the word tranquil there in Hebrew, it, it could translate a little more heartily if we looked at it in the idea of health. So if you read this verse, a healthy heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot, it's this kind of think about what the heart does. The heart pumps blood through our bodies. So it gives us nutrients. It gives us oxygen to every, every, every inch of flesh, every inch of, of being that we have. The, the body is, uh, receives life literally from the heart. So a healthy heart, this is what it says, a healthy heart gives life to the flesh. The body is alive because of a, fle- of a, of a healthy heart. But envy... On the contrast, 
Envy, on the other hand, the picture that's painted here, it's the opposite of health. It's the opposite of life. What the writer says is that envy makes the bones rot. It's almost like death from the inside out. If our bones started rotting within our body, where it would even look like we are healthy on the outside, but on the inside, we're wasting away, we're rotting, we're, 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 we're feeling, carrying around death with, within our bodies. When we give to the temptation of envy, we are held up by hollow bones that lack trust in God's goodness and his provision for us. When we look at someone with resentment because they have what we want, we are trusting our desires more than we are trusting God's goodness to us. We know what this feels like. We know what resentment feels like. Even talking about this topic this morning, we can think about situations. If we drill this down, take it past the idea, the example I give of a Land Rover, of, of, of a physical object, um, it's not just coveting, wanting something. It's the resentment that comes along with desire, that comes along with something, that, that looks past relationship and looks past personhood and looks past the image of God in the person that you are feeling of resentment toward. It looks past all those things and it says, my desire for this thing or this relationship or this success is greater than my relationship with this person is greater than the person, the man or woman that God has made this person to be. And we know what that feels like. We, we've acted out of resentment before. We have said things to others in order to pull people into our small pity party of resentment, making others feel poorly about another person because I myself feel poorly about another person. We act out of insecurity. We act out of discontentment not being satisfied with God, what God has given us and provided for us. We even act out of, out of fear. We clear the pathway to a trail of actions that are not only harmful to ourselves, but they are harmful toward others. When we act out of resentment, it's not just it's me looking bad. It's not just me harming a relationship that is one-sided. But my actions of envy, they, they affect the family, they affect the body, they affect those that we interact with on a daily basis. So why is envy an offense toward God, right? So what the writer of Proverbs says is that envy is like death, like heart, like the heart is to life. So why is envy, why is it sin? Why is it listed in scripture as a sin, something that is an offense toward God? I wanna look at two specific ideas here. Um, when we think about the idea of envy and how it is an offense towards God, and I want it to fit in kind of like the broader understanding that God is the good gift giver who desires relationship with humanity. And we know this because of Jesus, that all of our offenses, and we specifically are looking at the idea of envy today, but everything that we do that would create a gap in our relationship with God, we know that, that he desires that relationship to be made right. And we know that ultimately because he sent his son, Jesus. He, God himself put on flesh, comes to earth and takes on our envy, takes on our lust, our greed, our anger, takes it upon himself in his perfection and dies in our place. Jesus came, he was never envy. He never experienced envy. He was tempted like every other man, but never experienced envy. So he stood perfect in our place in regard to this issue. When we choose envy, two things here. When we choose envy, it's to say that God's provision is not good enough for us. 
When we look at someone else and we experience resentment toward them because they have what we want, we are saying that God's, God's provision, what he gives us is not enough. That they have more and we want more. It should be ours. And in doing so, we're not trusting God. We're not having full love for God because we're questioning his provision over us and what he does for us. We're saying, God, you know my need. You know every aspect of who I am but you're not giving me enough. You're not giving me that relationship, that success, that, that item that I'm longing for, that I'm desiring. And because I'm not having it, because you're not providing for me, I'm gonna feel resentment and bitterness toward, toward that person. So choosing envy is to say that God's provision is not for, uh, enough for us, that we do not love God. And second, we say that choosing envy, it dehumanizes, follow this line of thought with me, it dehumanizes someone as nothing more than an object that reminds us of our inability to have everything that we want. So this is an offense toward God. Envy itself, it creates a gap in our relationship with God, but it also creates a gap in our relationship with others. God, you don't provide enough for me but the person that I'm experiencing envy toward, they no longer become a person. They no longer become someone who is made in the very image of God and placed on this earth to reflect his glory in one manner or another. All they become is this, this thing, this object that reminds me that I cannot have all the things that I want. And so what am I gonna do? That, that, that reminder, that consistent reminder that I can't have what I want, success, relationship, physical things, all these things that I want, what am I going to do toward them? Well, I'm going to feel bitterly toward them. I'm going to, I'm going to think thoughts negatively toward them. I'm going to think how they don't deserve what they're getting. They cease to be a person and they become an object, a reminder of my, of my inadequacy. You can't compete with someone in terms of envy without dehumanizing them without removing their value as a person, without ceasing to view them as someone who is made in the very image of God. Look with me at Proverbs, flip over a couple. Proverbs 23, uh, verse 17. In the book of Proverbs and, and in several different instances throughout scripture, the, the, the writers, um, specifically in the Old Testament, will write about envying the wicked. And we're gonna hone in on this in, in a little bit from Psalm 73, actually, uh, where Logan was reading earlier. Um, and, and envy itself, it is sin, but it's easy to look at people who have gain for a means that may not seem, uh, that may not seem righteous or it may not even seem, seem just to look at them and to envy them. They went about it the wrong way, but they got the good in the end. And so this proverb that we're gonna look at in 2317, it's, it's one of those. It says, let not your heart envy sinners, specifically sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and a hope that will not be cut off. So when we look at, when we look at this idea of envy, we see a contrast here as well. Don't let your heart envy sinners. Don't envy, but do what? Continue in fear of the Lord, in reverent awe, in trusting him. This, this phrase I think is really helpful. Are we trusting in God's goodness and his provision for us, or are we trusting in our desires? Which is weighing more heavily? Do we trust God's goodness or do we trust 
our desires? Am I living in blindness towards my neighbor, where I don't, I don't care about them, whether they are someone who went about it in just means or unjust, uh, unjust means, but I look at them in blindness, not caring about their personhood, their value, their dignity, even their need for Jesus. I think this is a big point. Even their need for Jesus that someone who does not have a relationship with Christ and is acting to gain things in unjust ways, and we look at them and we think, man, they shouldn't have what they have because, man, they're doing it all wrong. Why are they getting blessing? This is another theme throughout the Old Testament. Why are they getting blessing when they're doing it the wrong way? But when we dehumanize them, we, we, we forget that they need Jesus. They need the goodness of the gospel in their lives, that, that all the things that they have, everything that they've gained, relationship, success, physical possessions, none of them compare to the eternal significance that comes with the good news of Jesus Christ. That past this world, they will live an unending relationship with a perfect God because Jesus stood and died on their behalf. Are we living in blindness to our neighbor or are we living seeking to bless our neighbor? Envy doesn't allow us to bless them. Envy doesn't allow us to pursue God's good for them because we're leaving, living in blindness to who they are. We're saying that God's provision's not good, for, good enough for us. And we're dehumanizing them to be nothing more than an object that reminds us of our inability to have everything that we want. So we define what envy is, we see in, in Scripture how envy is an offense towards God. But here, I think, uh, is, is kind of the next step we need to take in this progression. We can look at envy on a big, broad scope, but, but how do we identify envy in our own lives? How do we look at, at ways that we are not trusting God, not loving God, and, and not um, valuing and loving our neighbors as we, as we resentfully uh, feel toward those who have what, who have what we want? Um, flip back from Proverbs, flip, flip to Psalm 73. This is the passage that, that Logan was reading from earlier. Um, and I'm not, verses 1 through 24 is a pretty big chunk. Um, and I, I'm not going to ask you to read that uh, right now. You may want to go through and read it later because I think it would be really helpful in terms of what we're talking about today. But in Psalm 73, we find a model for identifying and dealing, uh, and, uh, identifying and dealing with envy itself. The way that Asaph, the one who wrote this psalm, categorically goes through why he is experiencing envy. And we can even identify with some of these things um, this morning in ways that we feel envy toward others. He makes a couple statements, and I'm just summarizing here in, this, in these, I think it's probably the first 15 or 16 verses. He says, he looks at them, and this is the wicked, people that have gone by unjust means to achieve things that he desires. He says, they don't have any problems in life. I look at them and it seems like everything is right. They're doing it all right. They've got it all together. Nothing is wrong. They look good. He, he says physically looking at them that their, their bodies are fat, which means that they, um, that they had, had the ability to have a lot of food and that they were well provided for. And you look at them and this was something to be desired. So not only do they have no problems, but they look good having no problems. They have position. They have power. They have the ability to exercise authority. Think about these things. These are all things that we want, right? 
They have riches, they have money, they have physical ability to get and purchase and do what they want. We want no problems in life. We want to have a good physical appearance. We want position, we want power, we want money. All these same things, this is exactly what Asaph is saying in Psalm 73. But what he does is he categorically, he goes down, he's like, I'm, I envy these people. I feel resentment toward them because I want what they have. I want what they have. He looks at them and he thinks that they have it so much better than he does. My, um, I, I was telling a friend of mine earlier this week, I feel like every proverb that we go through, uh, Debbie Kossaboom, my mom, I feel like she has a proverb to go along with it. I mean, every single one. I'll probably share one with, another one with you in a couple weeks. But when it comes to the idea of envy, you know, you've heard it seen, uh, you've heard it said that the grass is always looks greener on the other side of the fence. And my mom used to always say the grass, uh, the grass looks greener, doesn't look greener on the other side of the fence. It's just different grass. Um, it's not any different than what you currently have. And the friend that I was talking to, he said, the grass may look greener on the other side of the fence, but it only is because their septic tank is leaking. So things do not look as good as they appear. They do not look as good as they appear. So when we think about this, this idea that he kind of categorically identifies his envy, he names it for what it is. They look good. They have power. They have position. They have money. They have no worries in life. He says that his envy, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. He knew that he was upset toward them. He knew that he, uh, he desired what they had, but it didn't make sense on his own. He even had trouble, the way that it kind of reads, he had trouble identifying that that's actually what it was until we get to verse 17. And in verse 17, it says that he went to the temple. Look at, look at verse, uh, verse 16 and 17. But then I thought, how to understand this? It seems a wearisome task. Why do they have what they have? And I, I don't. I want that and I don't have it. Verse 17, it says, until I went to the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. So he goes to the Lord, he pursues wisdom and then he has a different perspective on the whole situation, on the whole scenario. The, pers- the end that he is talking about is all these physical things, all these things that he sees that they have, that he wants, they're going to come to an end. That Land Rover I was talking about earlier, it's gonna end up on cinder blocks at some point in time. It's gonna get in a wreck that house that you want, that position that you would like to have in your company, the one that somebody else just got, those things are all going to come to an end. They're all going to come to an end. If I were to ask you for, if you were an envious person here this morning, I'd like a little index card sitting in front of you and a little pen. And I said, let's just take a poll. Who would just anonymously admit that they experience envy on a regular basis. You might say no. You might say that. But my question this morning is, how do you respond when you see someone else experiencing good? How do you respond to when someone else gets what you want? Whenever that last person in your department got the promotion that you were hoping for, how did you respond toward them? How did you think toward them? How did you feel toward them? Were you out for their good or for your own good? That last wedding invitation that you got in the mail, when you really desire to be married, how did you feel toward that person when you opened it? That baby shower invitation that you opened when you really, really desire for God to provide a child for your family. How did you respond? 
It's okay to, to feel emotion in those things, to, to recognize that someone else got a promotion and that you were really working hard and you really want God to provide for your family and it didn't turn out that way and for you to confess your disappointment to the Lord, to, for you to confess your hurt that you're not married or your hurt that you don't have a child or even when you look at another family and you see this, like this family that they, they seem to have it all together. They've got it all. Kids are well-behaved. Their, their house is well in order. They're well provided for physically. The, the husband and wife always look like they're affectionate toward one another in public. It looks like it's all just kind of like put together and for you to look and experience disappointment and say, God, I feel like I'm missing something here. Please help me to trust in you. Please help me to follow you, Jesus. Not so that I can have these good things, but so that I can be faithful in the midst of what I, of what I do have. But the step past that is not just, I want that and God, I'm hurt with it, but God, I don't care what you think about this. I feel envy, resentment, bitterness toward the person who has what I want. And I'm gonna act out of it. It seems like the unpardonable sin, this is from an article in The Guardian several years ago, a British newspaper. It seems that the unpardonable sin is someone succeeding more than we do. You can be angry towards someone and receive forgiveness. You can have a broken relationship with someone and, and receive forgiveness. But if they do better than you do or get what you want, somehow they end up on this magic list with 10 other people that they will never be removed from that list. God's grace is not good for them and you will not extend grace toward them. So how do we respond to envy? How do we respond to this, this feeling that we have, this resentment that we feel toward others who have, what, who have what we want? I think there are three basic ways that we respond. This isn't exhaustive, but I think there are three kind of options that we turn to. The first one is overcompensation, okay? Overcompensation. We try to make ourselves feel better. Um, we, we, act, we, we don't care that others appear to have what we want. We're just going to keep on pushing forward and working toward getting what we want. And we're just kind of like put ourselves out there even more. They got the promotion. I wanted it. I'm going to just kind of like drive myself into the ground to get what I want. I'm going to overwork. I'm going to find my value and my, follow this, identity in that even more. I'm going to overcompensate, work harder, try harder, do everything I can to get that thing that I want. Because surely if I get that thing... I will be satisfied. The second option is withdrawal, is you just completely pull back, right? So overcompensation, we want to be seen as better than the person that we envy. We feel resentment toward them and we want to prove that we are better than they are. Withdrawal says, it just even like acts like it, it didn't even happen. I'm going to pull back. I'm going to recognize that I'm never going to have that thing that I want. And I'm just going to quietly sit and fester with resentment toward the person who has what I want. I withdraw, I pull back, I pull, I pull into myself. So I'm either going all the way out, full throttle, overcompensating, or I'm pulling back, reclusing away, but still experiencing resentment in both of those areas, devaluing the person, not loving my neighbor, not trusting God's provision and his goodness for us, not loving, not loving God. Or the third option. The third option is repentance and belief. Repentance and belief. We acknowledge that we have envy. We confess it to God. 
asking his forgiveness for not loving him and trusting him, for not loving our neighbors. And then we may even need to take a step and ask for forgiveness towards the, the symptoms of that envy that we've had in our lives. We may need to go to the person that we've acted out of our envy toward and ask for forgiveness, ask for that relationship to be, to be repaired. We confess those things to God and then we believe God's goodness that he has provided all that we need. So we confess and then we believe truth. The lie says they have what I want and I deserve it. The truth says God provides every single thing that we need when we did not deserve it. We confess our envy, we confess our sin, and then we believe truth, we believe the gospel. If God provided for every tangible physical thing that we wanted in life, if, if the way that we dehumanize someone just makes them an obstacle or, or a reminder that we're never gonna have all that we need, what if I had everything that I wanted physically? What if I had it and I never wanted more? Even in a physical terms, where, where would my response be to even ask that question of, of wanting more, of never being satisfied? The scriptures tell us that we are never completely satisfied because we are only to find our satisfaction in God, the one who provides for our ultimate need of salvation through his son, through Jesus. So where does, where does Asaph land in Psalm 73? He identifies, he confesses his envy. Look at, um, look at verses 25 and 26. This is um, part of what Logan read earlier this morning. Verse 25 says, this is Psalm 73, 25. says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing that I desire on earth besides you. So when he went to the Lord for wisdom, trying to deal with what he was experiencing in terms of envy, The Lord gives him different perspective and he sees that the Lord is the one that satisfies him. Verse 26, for my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What I need, my portion, what is given to me, what satisfies me, God is that for me forever. He's provided for us in himself. So we confess I, 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 my heart and my flesh may fail. That's what Asaph says. Everything that I have in this life, it will end, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When you look at someone else who has what you want and you experience resentment towards them, there's this, this belief that their good equals your bad, that them receiving good is bad on your part. And that is not a true equation. So we have defined envy. We've identified why it is an offense toward God. We, we wanna know what to do with it. How do we respond to envy? And then lastly this morning, I just wanna look at how we apply the gospel specifically toward envy in our lives. Um, if you look at the, the Sermon on the Mount, don't flip there. I'm gonna ask you to look another place. But if you look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six, there is this portion where Jesus um, talks about people being anxious. And a lot of times we focus in that passage on the idea of anxiety. God's, um, uh, what Jesus says is don't worry about what you're gonna wear or what you're gonna eat. Look at the, the visual picture in this scene must have been awesome. Look at the birds over there, how they don't have to store up food, but God provides for them. Look at the lilies of the field. Look how beautiful they are. And God God surely is going to provide clothes more beautiful than that for you. He says, don't worry about those things. But then what does he follow that up with? He says, seek first the kingdom of God. We apply that to our envy this morning. 
We look at those who have what we want and our question to ask ourselves is, are we pursuing the kingdom of God or are we pursuing our own kingdom that says, if I have that thing that they have that I don't have, then my kingdom will be fully established. Or am I pursuing God's kingdom, the kingdom that will have no end? I think that um, the parable that Jesus tells us um, uh, in Luke uh, chapter 15, and you can flip there real quick if you want to. In Luke chapter 15 is the parable of the prodigal son. Um, There are some sinners and some tax collectors that have come near to Jesus and um, they're kind of gathered in close and tight with him. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are kind of standing around him and they're pointing at Jesus and saying, look at him. He's the one who who sits and he eats and he dines with those sinners. And Jesus goes into the series of different parables. And what he does is he, he, uh, the parable of the prodigal son is one that is uh, familiar to, to those of us that have grown up within the church, but it is, it is uh, for those of us that have not grown up within the church, it's a story that makes, um, makes a lot of sense. It makes sense in the economy of God. <laughs> So the parable of the prodigal son, the, um, the father is, is wealthy. He has an inheritance that he's going to leave to his children. And one son, he has two sons. One son comes up to him and he says, give me everything that's going to be mine now because I want to have it. I want to have it now. And so what the father does is he gives him his inheritance and he goes and he spends and he squanders it. He spends it on girls and food and, and, and just indulgent living. And then he finds himself with this kind of like crux, this realization, I've spent everything that I have and my father's servants back at his house, they have it better off than I do. So surely if I go back and I just beg for his forgiveness, he'll forgive me and he'll let me become part of his family again. And so the, the father, it's kind of the scene that's painted. It's like the father's been waiting for his prodigal, his runaway son to come home and he sees him far away off and he runs, which is crazy in the culture at the time. The father runs out to his son and he meets him and the son starts in this speech of, I'm sorry, forgive me, I shouldn't have done this. And, and what the dad says is, go get, go get the best robe we have. Go get sandals for his feet and ring for his finger and take that, that fatted calf, the one that we've been saving for that awesome party, go kill it because we are going to have a celebration. We're going to party for what was lost is found. What was dead is alive. The son has come home. This is a picture of us in relationship to our good father. This is a picture of us, that we are lost. We've, we've asked for all the good without the relationship. And we find ourselves in empty places when we pursue life like that. And we come toward him and we ask for forgiveness, for living life apart from him. And through Jesus Christ, he invites us into the family and he throws this party. And he says that we'll get to live with him forever in eternity. But then there's this flip side to the story. We have the older brother, who is the one who didn't ask for the inheritance, the one who saw his brother go off and spend his father's living. And the way that, that Jesus talks about the older brother in, Matthew ch- or in uh, Luke chapter 15, it's like he's standing outside watching in with envy and resentment that the son is getting what he wants. The one that ran away is getting what he deserved. Look at, um, at Luke 15 verse 26. And he called one of the servants, um, this, the, the older brother, and he asked him what this whole party meant, what the celebration was going on. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because received back his son safe and sound. But the son, the older son, verse 28, he was angry and he refused to go in. So his father came out and he entreated him. He, he asked him, but the father but he, but he answered his father. This is what the older son says. Look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command and you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours came home, who has devoured the property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf and you give it to him? Listen to his language in there. It's all this I, me, you. He, 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 his language, it, it elevates himself. I, me, I've, I've done everything right. I've not done anything wrong. He dehumanizes and disconnects from relationship with his brother out of his envy. He doesn't say my brother. He says your son, he went and he did this. And now he comes home and this is what you do for him. He's experiencing strong, strong envy. Why was he so envious? He wanted his father's approval. He wanted to be celebrated. He wanted to be recognized. He wanted the same things to happen for him, but his brother was getting them instead. And so he experienced envy toward him, resent, because he was getting what he wanted. But then we see how the good father responds. Verse 31, the father says to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. This brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was a lost and then he was found. The good father's response to the older brother is the good father's, the perfect father's response to us in the midst of our envy. What the father says to the older brother, he says, you've always been with me. The father says to us this morning in the midst of our envy, I am always with you. The good father in, in, in this parable, he tells the older son, all that I have is yours. And what the father says to us this morning in the midst of our envy, all that he has is ours. The best he has to give us in his son, Jesus Christ, meets our greatest need. So in the midst of our desire to want more and our lack of love for God and our dehumanizing of those that we envy, the resentment that we experience toward them, the father invites us into restored relationship with himself because Jesus was the older brother on our behalf. He saw us come running home, that we got his riches, the riches of Christ at his expense, Jesus's expense. We get his good when we didn't do anything to deserve it. Restored relationship with God. So this morning, as we look at this idea of envy, we need to ask these questions. How are we experiencing resentment toward those? How do we, how do we feel like God is holding out on us, that, that we can't trust him, that he doesn't provide for us, that his goodness is not real? How are we dehumanizing others? How are we lacking to see the image of God in those that we are around? We need to, instead of turning to, to withdraw or turning toward trying to overcompensate, we need to turn to repentance and belief. Repent of the way that we felt toward God and responded toward him. Repent of the way that we have felt toward others. We need to seek to trust in God's goodness, his provision for us, that he is our portion, just like Asaph wrote, and living from the grace that we've received, not living to receive it. We love others the way that he has loved us, ultimately through his son, Jesus Christ. So how does the gospel speak to envy? The gospel speaks to envy by extending grace and forgiveness to us and calling us to trust God and to love our neighbor. Our bones do not have to rot away out of envy. 
And we're not just trying hard to be good moral people who don't experience envy or, or, or have resentful thoughts towards others. Our desire is to be people who are rooted in the goodness of God and the character of Christ Jesus. And that's lived out in our lives. We experience the good from that. We experience the good of living an unbroken relationship with God, of not living in continual offense towards him because of this sin. We experience good in our relationship with our brothers and those that we get to share the goodness of Jesus with. I wanna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. As we, um, as we read the truth of God's word and we spend time kind of marinating in this idea of God's provision for us, and looking at the idea of envy in our own lives, I wanna just sit for a second and ask the Lord to reveal areas that we have not trusted his provision. And in the midst of not trusting his provision, we have experienced resentment towards those who have what we want. Think through some of those examples that I listed earlier. We're wanting to identify sin in our lives so that we can confess it. We can repent, we can turn from it and so that we can believe in the goodness of God. So I wanna give you just a second to do that personally, to respond to God's truth for our lives. Ask him to reveal it, his Holy Spirit will do it. Repent from it, turn from that envy here in this moment and believe God's goodness and his provision for you, ultimately through Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning that you, um, you look at us and you speak to us just as you did, um, in, just as we see in the parable, that the, the father talked to the, the older son, that you look at us and you tell us that you are always with us, that all you have is ours, that we can trust you, you are good, you are with us. God, and that you call us away from this selfish living that, that points to our needs being satisfied, to recognize that our needs have been fully satisfied past our physical needs here on earth and ultimately in our forgiveness of our sin and relationship with you, Father. We thank you for your provision over us. And God, we ask that that provision that you've given to us, that we would desire that provision for others, that where relationship has been affected and hindered because of our envy, because of our resentment, that you would offer us space for restoration, for confession, for that relationship to be restored, for us to view people as people that are made in your image and not just objects that stand in our way or remind us of our inadequacy. Father, we want to trust you. We want to love you. And we want to, we want to love our neighbors. So Father, please help us to turn from envy and from pride and turn to, to forgiveness and the grace that we receive in Christ Jesus. For it is through him alone that we receive this grace. We pray these things in his name. Amen.